everybody, and welcome to another episode of Criminal Discourse. I'm Maddie. And I'm Trish. We're doing back-to-back Maddie episodes. That is correct. Has this ever happened? I don't think so. We've done back-to-back Trish, because Trish is a much more effective and efficient adult than I am. Correct. And (laughs) that only comes from more experience. I have decades on you. That's true. (laughs) um, But yeah, and we're recording these actually in the same day. So if you listen to last episode that came out, we're recording this back-to-back. So... Just side note, we did not have sausage at the barbecue. We did not. All right. So you wanted to do shout out? Yes, we have some shout outs to give. Just want to thank Julie S. She reached out to us through Facebook and she shared her personal connection with the Girl Scout murder. So I thank her for taking the time to reach out to us and to Rosalia, who left us an iTunes review, said we're pretty good, but felt we're too judgmental, but that's okay. Everybody has their opinion. So we appreciate you leaving a review. I'm definitely judgmental in my personal life. I didn't feel like I brought it to the podcast, but maybe I did. It's possible. We we all bring our own thing. But just on a side note, these are just our personal opinions. Opinions. Right. Nobody has to agree with us. Everybody can have their own. Yep. If you would like to reach out to us and just let us know how we're doing or even to introduce yourself and tell us hi from wherever you are in the country or other countries, we would love to hear from you or to even give us some feedback. You can reach out to us through a couple of means. One way to do so is through our website at Criminal Discourse Podcast. Dot com. On there, you will find all of our episodes and our show notes, which again, are just our notes that we use to guide us through the episode. We are in no way serious professional journalists. No. No. I took English 101. Does that count for anything? I believe I also did many decades ago in college. So <laughs> yes. And on there is also our contact page. You can also reach us through Instagram at criminal dispod, D-I-S-P-O-D, or our Facebook page at Criminal Discourse Podcast. And we also have a YouTube channel, Criminal Discourse Podcast, where we put out sneak peeks and there are some full episodes on there you can listen to if you like listening through that venue. All right. So Trish is tapping out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to jump in with our case. So this is a modern case. I'm shocked. I'm sorry. Where does this case take place? Maine. Oh, Okay. Northeast. So Louisiana to Maine. We're covering north to south. Everything. So we are in Seiko, Maine. It is December 18th, 2014. So at 2.47 a.m., a call comes in to 911 reporting shots fired. The caller had been shot by a home invader and was downstairs. His wife and her friend were upstairs, and he was unsure if they were alive or if the intruder was still in the home. So police headed to the home of Steve and Carol Shabbat. Steve was the caller. Rachel Owen, who was 53, was the friend who was upstairs. And she lived in Londonderry, New Hampshire, but she had come up to spend the weekend with friends. Rachel was married to Greg Owen, who was 59 at the time, and they had been married for about 35 years. And they also had an adult son named Wayne. Greg was in the army. And when Wayne was a kid, they had traveled all over army brat. And later, Greg had retired and began working in the private sector, which is when they had moved to Londonderry. Now, Rachel had been diagnosed with early onset dementia quite recently and had gone to visit friends, so her friends Steve and Carol, as a way to take a break and try to get away from you know, this diagnosis and the stress and anxiety that comes along with it. The day had been a normal one. They had gone out to dinner, they had watched TV, and then everybody had gone to bed. And it was in the middle of the night when this intruder came into the home. 
Now, officers arrived and found Steve still on the phone with the 911 operator. He had been shot and was losing blood, but was not in an extremely serious condition. So they were able to get him out of the home and enter, preparing to encounter the shooter because they didn't know if this intruder was still in the home or if the the women that were upstairs were still alive. How long between when Steve originally called and the police arrived? Do we know how much time elapsed? It was like 10, 15 minutes. It was very, it was pretty quick. And they went upstairs and the shooter was not there, but the two women were. So Carol was unharmed. She had been hiding in one of the bedrooms upstairs, but her friend had been shot three times, once in the shoulder, in the abdomen, and in the back of the head. Now, luckily, when the paramedics got to her, she was still alive and could be transported to the hospital where she would be put under the full protection of armed guards because at this point, they didn't know if this was a robbery gone bad, if this was something where she had been targeted. They were completely unsure of what surrounded this scenario. So to be sure that she was safe, they had armed guards outside of her hospital room. I'm surprised she's alive with a shot to the head. Mm-hmm. Good for her. So Steve spoke with the police and said that the intruder was about 5'9 with a gun and a... It's a robbery mask. That's what I call it. It's a robbery mask. <laughs> yes, exactly. A ski mask, but yeah. A ski mask. So he had... Steve had heard a noise downstairs. And when he went into the hallway to go investigate what the noise was, he saw the intruder climbing the stairs. Now, Carol was behind him and had fled to another bedroom. And Steve went back into his room and locked the door. He said the intruder looked like he went right towards Rachel's room, which is why they had the time to hide in the other bedrooms. He tried to gain entry where Carol had been hiding, but he couldn't get the door open. And then he tried to open the door that Steve was behind, but again, he couldn't get it open. So he shot three times into the door, hitting Steve in the torso. And that's how Steve had been shot. Police were treating the investigation as a home invasion with a shooter at large, and they didn't believe that Steve had anything to do with this. As they got Rachel to the hospital, the Seiko police contacted Londonderry police requesting that they go to the Owens home to inform her husband what had happened. When they did, Greg seemed to go into shock, stating that he was having a heart attack. Police helped him to the ground where he could sit and recover. How far is it between Seiko and Londonderry? About an hour and a half. So he was anxious to see his wife, but before escorting him to the hospital, police wanted to get some information from him. So they questioned him if he knew of anybody that would want to hurt his wife or maybe him by extension. He couldn't think of anybody. They also asked if his line of work working in the private military sector could put them in danger because he was working on a lot of counterterrorism. And for him, he states there was no one to the best of his knowledge. Is it me or is that phrase a red flag? I feel like anytime there's an investigation and you're saying to the best of my knowledge, it's to cover up the fact that you know something. Okay. You know, I could see that instead of just saying, no, I, I can't think of anyone. Right. So they questioned his whereabouts and if he had been in Maine at all that night. He responded stating that he had been at home working on a proposal all night and that he had emails, outgoing emails that could show that he had been working from home. He had only left the house twice, once to go to the Quickie Mart to get cigarettes and then the other time to get coffee. So he was extremely cooperative with the police, but he was also anxious to go and see his wife. So after questioning, he was escorted to Seiko to be with his wife in the ICU by police. 
Meanwhile, the police were investigating the Shabbat house, looking for any physical evidence that could lead to the shooter. They were able to uncover a footprint that had been left in a flower bed. So the detective on the scene, apparently it had been raining that early morning. So he actually took off his jacket and had laid it over the footprint to make sure that it was preserved and they were able to get a mold of the footprint. There was a window in the garage that was broken. So the theory was that the intruder had broken the window been able to get in that way and then entered into the rest of the home. Between the two panes of glass, there was a single hair and investigators were able to swab the area between the glass where the hair had been to get DNA. And finally, in the bedroom where Rachel had been shot, there were shell casings with 1987 printed on them, and they were from a 9mm. Rachel's condition was not good, and the doctor struggled to make a decision about if and how they were going to remove the bullet from her head without causing any further damage. So they decided after a few days to leave it in because there was no way to safely remove it. After 36 hours in the ICU with her son and her husband by her side, Rachel's vitals began to stabilize. Police were hopeful that she would be able to give them information about the shooter, but when she was conscious, the only memory that she had was of the man, and she described him as wearing a Jamaican hat. One of those beanies. Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, the, with the Jamaican color. Color, yeah. Yeah. The beanies. So that was the only thing that she could remember, and then she said it, everything went black. This didn't give them much to go on. So the police didn't really have much to go on. They had this very vague description of an intruder. They had some DNA, but... If you don't have something to match it up against, there's not really much there. Then the Seiko police received a call from a sheriff in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Okay, that's out of left field. Yeah. So the sheriff was a friend of Betsy Wandke, who had known Greg Owens, the husband of Rachel, for five years and had been dating him for two years. Oh, my. So when they first met, Betsy was on a plane when a stewardess told her that someone had upgraded her to first class. I'd love for that to happen, but never has. (laughs) So she moved up to first class and met her knight in shining armor, Greg Owens. He was sweet kind, and the two began a friendship. It wasn't until after Betsy divorced her then-husband that she accepted to start a romantic relationship with Greg. Did she not know he was married? We'll get there. So she knew that he traveled a lot for work and that he had a wife, Rachel. Now, Greg told her that he was separated from his wife and that he had stuck around for her because of her health and that he was really more of her caretaker. So they were separated, but he was still around to support her because of her diagnosis of early onset dementia. How severe was it at that point? Not severe enough that she needed a caretaker. So she had the diagnosis, but it wasn't progressing. It didn't seem to be progressing very quickly Okay, to the extent that he described to... Right. That she would need around-the-clock care. Exactly. So despite this, Betsy fell head over heels in love with Greg. Now, she was a strong, independent woman, but she couldn't resist how charming and romantic he was. So a little bit of background for Betsy. She had been an EMT and a firefighter and was really a a go-getter really a strong, independent woman. But he was just so romantic. He had even helped her build her business, opening a women's self-defense group known as Warrior Princess. I've heard of that program. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's Betsy. So he was living with her and they would vacation together. Everything seemed to be really perfect. 
It was as if she saw life through rose-tinted glass until about two weeks prior to the shooting of Rachel Owens. Now, Betsy had seen Greg calling and answered the phone. He had just left their home in Wisconsin to go to Afghanistan for work. She couldn't hear the call very well because Greg had only accidentally called her. He butt-dialed. You're making a face. Yeah. What year was this? 2014. Really? People still butt dial in 2014 with smartphones? I've done it. Really? Well, not everybody had a smartphone in 2014. Oh, maybe. I had a track phone. Because it's rare now to butt dial. Well, right. Because right. because of these types of things right. happening. <laughs> So he had butt dialed her and she couldn't hear very well, but she could hear Greg speaking to his wife. So he had told her, hey, I'm going to Afghanistan for work. That's where I'm going to be. And she gets a phone call and hears him with his wife in the background. So not only did he lie about where he was, but it was clear from the conversation she could hear that the relationship with his wife was not how he had described it. So Betsy called Greg and confronted him, but he denied it, saying that he had been on his way to Afghanistan, but he had to go to Rachel's because she had almost burned the house down. To Betsy's credit, she didn't believe this lying SOB. Like, she was like, nope, not having it, you're lying, and did not believe a word of it. She told him that if he wasn't getting a a divorce... They were done. I am kind of surprised, though, because she she does sound like a very strong, independent woman. She clearly has been played, mm-hmm. so she doesn't believe what he's saying to her. But yet she's still giving him the option. Well, if you get a divorce, we can still be together. She was in love with him. I mean, she was very deeply in love with him. They had been together for two years. And for her, they were living together. He had helped her build her business. I mean, this wasn't an easy thing for her. Love is blind. In a committed, for her, a committed relationship. For her. For her, yes. yes. So when Betsy heard that Greg's wife had been shot, she reached out to him concerned because... For her, this had been a random intruder that had shot Rachel, and she thought that that would be a difficult time for him. Now, when he spoke to her, he said that he thought that someone was targeting the people he loved and asked her to, quote, go dark, meaning don't speak to the police and that they were both in danger. I get the both going dark, like being in danger, like definitely be aware of your surroundings and things like that, but not speaking to police. Right. That would be a red flag for me. Well, and who knows? I mean, she knows that he's also in the private military sector for for all we know, he was telling her, you know, the police are involved. So Betsy believed him and thought that she would be the next target. So she loaded every gun in her house. And when the police came to ask her questions, she told them that they were friends, but they weren't close at all. Now, after finding out about the double life that Greg had been leading, it became clear to federal investigators that Betsy was the motive for the attempted murder. And Betsy reached out to her friend in law enforcement in Wisconsin, and that that's the guy that called the police. The Seiko police. The Seiko police. So eventually she was like, "Eh." And I don't think that it was Betsy that reached out to her friend, like, I'm not so sure about what Greg is saying. I think the friend, the sheriff, had gotten wind of what had happened and saw through Greg Okay, and said, you know, hey, (laughs) I've investigated a murder. And when you have, you know, this guy on one side that's got his wife that's holding him back from being with Betsy, pretty sure this is what went down. I don't think she reached out to him. So he was privy to their relationship and he kind of put two and two together. Well, yeah, because she, I mean... It, for her, it was her live-in boyfriend. So, of course, she he knew all of her friends and, you know. So, after finding out about this double life, again, it became clear to federal investigators who had become involved because of the different states that Betsy was the motive for this attempted murder. Now, Rachel was to be released home shortly from the hospital, so police had to move fast if 
they didn't want her back in the hands of the man they believed had tried to murder her. So as Greg left the hospital from visiting Rachel, he's like pulling out of the hospital parking lot and a SWAT team surrounds him and takes him down. So he was charged in federal court for crossing state lines to commit domestic violence. Now, while in prison for his wife's attempted murder, Greg reached out to Betsy in the hopes that they could continue their relationship after he got out of jail. Greg professed his undying love for her and told her that she was the one telling her that he had filed for divorce and that they would be able to be together in a few weeks. Did he file for divorce? I don't think so. So Betsy didn't believe him and knew that, again, he was just playing on her emotions. About a year after the shooting, the court proceedings began for Greg Owens. And in the search of Greg's house, the police had found a ski mask matching the description and bullets that matched the casings at the scene. Remember, we had the 1987 printed. It was a nine millimeter. And those exact bullets were found in his home. The DNA recovered from the crime scene was also a match to Greg. The defense had illustrated to the courts that there was no identification of Greg. So Basically, their case was, well, if it had been Greg, Steve would have recognized him because they knew each other. Yeah, but he was wearing a ski mask and it was late at night. And you wouldn't think that your best one of your friends is the one coming up the stairs to shoot at you. So Greg's emails, because remember, he said, well, I wasn't in Maine. I was in New Hampshire. I have emails to prove it. And they appeared to have been sent during the time in questions. Also, investigators had never recovered the gun. And the police also couldn't put Greg on the highway from New Hampshire to Maine. So they had looked at all of the traffic cams and they couldn't find anywhere where they could spot him on the highway driving to Maine. But they had the DNA from the hair in the broken window. Like, why would his hair be there? Even though he'd been in the house, well, why that was your the hair? whole thing. Was well, I've been to that house, so it's very plausible that my DNA could be there. And a broken window pane. It was the defense's case. I didn't say it was a good case. Okay. <laughs> But that was their argument, was he had been to that house, so it's very plausible that his DNA would be present. They also said that he couldn't have committed the crime because he had been at Dunkin' Donuts getting coffee in New Hampshire around 4.30 a.m. As it turns out, investigator discovered that Greg had tampered with his computer timestamp so that it couldn't be used as part of his alibi. They found Google searches on his computer, how to change your timestamp on your computer, and a post-it note, like on his laptop, change time. <laughs> what was that? Oh, it was the Marion Miles case. Remember when the investigators, he had moved out to Washington State, Dr. Isles, and they go into his house and they find on his computer, if I would have done it, a whole manuscript oh, yeah. on yeah, how yeah, he yeah. would murder his wife. He wrote like the novel of this is how. Yeah. Like I one or two chapters yeah. of like, but it was laid out the case specifically. Oh, man. So the jury wasn't buying any of Greg's defense. And after 10 days of trial and only three hours of deliberation, Greg Owens was found guilty on all charges. In July of the same year, the judge Nancy Torreson decided on a sentence of life plus 20 years for the charges of crossing a state line to commit an act of violence, which was the 20 years, and use of a firearm, which was the life sentence. So now it says with life sentence, it sounds like he has a possibility of parole, but even if he's eligible, he has to serve 20 years beyond that. So today, Betsy admits that she feels a little bit embarrassed about having been connected to Greg, considering her business was created really to empower women, and she considers herself, again, a, a very strong, independent woman. But she hopes that it can tell women out there to be aware and that it can happen to anybody, so there's no guilt to be felt. Rachel lives with her son, Wayne, and his family, and Greg is sitting in federal prison 
still trying to appeal his conviction. But yeah, I did look up the Warrior Princess. I think they still have them. So if you're interested in any of their self-defense classes, because I think it's a good concept. Have you ever taken a self-defense class? I think in college. I did. We should take one together. Okay. Why not? No, all right. You didn't sound enthused. No, I could do a self-defense. I think it's always good. I think it's always good, especially as women, Mm -hmm. things that we can do to just kind of arm ourselves, to prepare ourselves for the unexpected. Yeah. I picked out Christmas presents. So, you know, my sister, she's 17. Right. And she has her little group of friend posse that... The Trinity. Yes. The Trinity. Yes. The three of them. And I found these cute little keychains. The hoodie. The hoodie. Is it called that? With the, the alarm? Yes, the hoodie. Yes. Okay, My mother just got me one. Did she? My 80-year-old mother <laughs> went on vacation to like Virginia Beach. I saw them at Cape May. Oh, the hoodie. So my mother went on vacation and comes back with the hoodie, which is a personal alarm system where it just goes on your keychain. Mm-hmm. Not that we're getting paid for endorsement here. I'm just kind of telling the story. Yeah. And you just, it's one of those things that I guess if you're feeling unsafe or you're being attacked, you can just pull. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. I know because it went off in the grocery store when it got caught on the cart <laughs> recently. Awesome. I was like, oh, and I had earphones in because I was listening to music while I was shopping. So I didn't realize it. But it also has a flashing light. So that's what caught my attention that I had pulled it on the cart. But anyways, it makes a very loud sound and a flashing light to bring attention that you're in trouble or mm-hmm. to scare your you know, attacker and maybe give you those few seconds to get away or to attack back. So yeah, the hoodie. Yeah. And they're very cute. They have all these different prints and things. My Mine's in coral. There you go. So there you go. There's our, again, we're not getting paid to endorse any of these things, but we're just telling you. I'm picking out Christmas presents. You got to think about these things. I already have one. Thanks. So I don't need one. All right. I won't get you one. I'm already thinking of yours. I already know. I already know. I just have to find it. Is it a piece of string to tie around my finger to remind me of things? Well, it's a book, How to Be a Better Millennial and Communication Practices. (laughs) I'm not good at that. (laughs) Um, No, it's, it's not. It's something. You'll love it if I can find it, if if the, if it exists, but I have an idea. If it exists. If, if not, hey, maybe we'll be on Shark Tank. There you go. <laughs> Probably not. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you, again, want to reach out to us, you can do so through those various means. But Maddie and I would only ask that you leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. And if you leave us a five star, we'd appreciate it even more. Or tell a friend. Tell a friend. Yes, absolutely. I have a friend that she'll always text me and say, I told somebody else about your podcast. I'm like, thank you. Because it really is word of mouth. Mm hmm given that we have like zero budget. So correct. Just love, sweat and tears. It's all we got to put into it. Pretty much. I'm hoping that maybe in the fall we can do a meet and greet. Wouldn't that be fun? Something local in the area? It'll be really sad if nobody shows up though. Well, we'll have to do it at a bar then so we we can at least abide. You know, buy some beverages. Make ourselves feel better. Make ourselves feel better. (laughs) All right. So as always, if you see something, say something. You might have that missing piece of the puzzle it takes to solve a crime. Like the sheriff friend of Betsy who called the police to say, hey, I'm putting two to two together here. And as always, we want you to stay safe. Take a self-defense course. Get a hoodie. Yeah. Just be aware. Check your back seat. Check. Always check the back seat. And if somebody rear ends you don't get out of the car correct i had to train my mom on that well or at least if you're gonna get out of the car pull over to a public area right like don't pull over to the side of a deserted road like pull into a parking lot at night (laughs) right don't pull into the back of the parking lot pull right up next to the front doors where the cameras are 
Yeah. And other people because yes. Do you hear the story about the about the woman abducted at in a Target parking lot? No. So it was her. It was a Dateline. It was her husband's girlfriend who dressed up as a detective, like a plainclothes police officer, had handcuffs and basically arrested this woman in a Target parking lot and abducted her. Was she having an affair with the husband? Yeah, she was the husband's girlfriend. The oh, husband oh, girlfriend, oh. the husband's girlfriend abducted the wife in a Target parking lot. Oh my god. And like people saw it, but they just thought that it, she was getting arrested. Did the wife end up dead? Yes. I don't know. What would you do? I don't know. I probably would go with them. If a detective Oh, I was- wouldn't. It was she was like in an SUV. Like it wasn't like it was a and normally. So here's the thing here. So here we go. Life tip. Most of the time, if not all of the time, when they know that there's going to be an arrest. So like this was, hey, I have a warrant for your arrest. It's very rarely, if it ever happens, one police officer because they never know how the person is going to react. They'll always have two officers. So if you have one police officer, then chances are you're being abducted. And they should have the warrant. They should have the warrant. She had a bad. I think she had a fake badge, but they should have a copy of the warrant. And again, it should be in a police vehicle. Look for the little computer that they have in the front of the vehicle. Things like that. Because nowadays, police vehicles are looking more like regular cars somewhat, but they should have still the lights. I know every time that a a Ford Explorer drives by me, I'm slowing down. Like, oh, I don't know. Or a Taurus. They have the, it's all Fords. But But they'll have the lights, the light Mm -hmm. bar. They'll have, especially if you're being led into the vehicle, you still have locked doors in the back and they still have the panel separating Exactly. The front from the back. There you go. A lot of good life tips coming out. This is what happens when my cases are short. (laughs) That's correct. It's called filler. So besides saying safe, and we've given you some really great life tip, we would also ask to be kind to one another. We'll end it on that. (laughs) All right, guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye.